How many people could use some good news? Yes, we are starting a series today about the good news. And um, the church should be the place where you hear good news. That's the, the, the definition of the gospel is translated the good news. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't sound like good news. Sometimes it's hard to hear. Uh, but what I found out is that uh, whether something is good news or bad news might depend on where you're standing. It might depend on what you come in with. It might depend on the position you're at in life. It might depend on a lot of things and what you're attuned to, what you're ready for. And so some things are good news, but don't sound like good news, right? I'll give you an example. Uh, for wherever you're at on the political spectrum, if a bill has been passed, you either think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. It's the greatest bill that's ever happened. It's going to change the country. Can't believe it passed. It's so amazing. It's about to be awesome. Or you think it's the worst thing that's ever happened. That's where our political spectrum is in, in this environment. And so it's either good news or terrible news, depending on your perspective. And both of you are convinced it's either bad news or good news. Fully convinced, fully believing that it's a great thing or fully believing it's a terrible thing. Your perspective of what's good and what's not good changes by where you're standing. And so being prepared to be in the right position to hear the good news, to have the right mindset, to have the right heart, so that you can hear good news when good news is presented. I'll tell you where you're not going to find good news. It's just the nature of it. I'm not mad about it. It is what it is. Um, turn on the actual news. You're not going to find good news. I mean, like they're paid to scare you for some reason. That's the way it's set up. They are paid to scare you. It's not going to be good news. Everything's the worst. It's a new pandemic. Something else has happened. Something new's coming on. Uh, we're all going to die. World War III is happening tomorrow. It's, everything is falling down. And so where you're at changes about whether or not you're able to hear good news. If all you can focus on is that news, you're never going to hear good news. You're never going to be able to hear the good news until you're in the right position. So throughout the series, we want to try to talk about being in the right position, hearing the good news, and receiving it and walking it out. To do that, we're going to walk through some parables in most of our sermons. And today we're going to start with a parable. Um, if you're new with the gospel and the Bible, a parable is just Jesus telling a story that's a metaphor for something else. So he tells a story. This story is a metaphor and illustration for some other truth that he's trying to express. And the parable we want to use today is called the parable of the laborers. And uh, with this parable, I'll just give you the synopsis and then kind of read you the ending verses of it. So let me set you up with the parable we're going to use today. Um, Jesus is talking and he says, the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is like this. And he says, the owner of a vineyard goes out to find workers. Okay, in their day, the workers are set somewhere. They don't have a job. It's not somebody who's hired hand. It's somebody he needs extra workers for. So they don't have a job promised to them. They're standing at a specific spot, ready to get hired, waiting on somebody to hire. There's no guarantee of work. You stand there, somebody hires you, you'll get a job. So the, so the, the owner of the vineyard steps out, sees somebody. They have a 12-hour workday, first hour of the day, 6 a.m. Let's say it's 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., a 12-hour day. Shows up at 6 a.m., finds some workers. Says, hey, Here's what I'll do. I'll pay you a regular day's wage. The common day's wage, this is what I'll pay you if you want to come work for me. They say, great, perfect. That's a, that's a great idea. I would like to work for you. I don't got a job. I'm here at 6 a.m. I might as well work for you for a fair day's wage. So they, they, they sign up at 6 a.m., do a 12-hour day. They show up. They show up to their work. Now, the owner of the vineyard, we don't know. There's, we don't know the, what he's doing. Nothing in Scripture tells us what he's doing. I don't know if he's checking uh, the, the fields. I don't know if he's selling wine to people. If he finds out all of a sudden sometime in that he needs some more wine, he needs some more grapes, he's got to get some more workers. So three hours later, he goes back to the spot where he found the first workers to find more. So these guys have been waiting for three hours to have a job. For three hours. I don't know if i got a job today. Am I going to be able to, to get work? He says, hey, I want to hire you. This time, instead of negotiating a pay, he says, if you come work for me, I will pay you what is fair. And they're like, whoa, okay, cool. 
right? <laughs> From their perspective, I imagine they're thinking, we ain't got a job anyways. What's the worst that could happen, right? I don't know. Is it waste my day here waiting on a job or I can go work and maybe you pay me. Maybe it's going to be good. I'll trust that you're going to pay me what's fair. Does that work? The, the owner of the vineyard goes, does something else. We still don't know what he does. Goes, drinks his own wine or uh, goes sell some grapes. I don't know what he's doing. And he comes back another three hours. Something about him needs another set of workers. It's noon. It's three hours later. It's been uh, six hours that these workers are waiting on a job. They ain't got a job. So the, the owner of the vineyard shows up, says, hey, I'll pay you what is fair. They agree. Does it again another three hours later, three o'clock in the afternoon. There's only three hours left in the workday. They agree. One more time at five o'clock, the 11th hour, he goes into a guy who's been waiting all day long, 11 out of 12 hours. He's waiting, trying to find a job, shows up to this worker and says the same thing he said to everyone except for the first group. Say, I'll pay you a fair wage. Do you want to come work for me? I imagine the, the five o'clock guy's like, well, yeah. I mean, I was about to have nothing. I got an hour of work left. I was about to get nothing. This has got to be better than nothing. So he goes to work. He shows up to work. The, the vineyard owner, in the day, 6 o'clock, it's 12-hour day. They've all been working. The beginning workers have been working 12 hours. He shows up. And he tells uh, the steward, the, the guy who runs his vineyard, he says, I want you to pay him, and I want you to start with the last people that showed up. Start with the 5 o'clock workers, and then work your way back. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to pay them a full day's wage. So for the 5 o'clock worker, he worked an hour of the day. That man got a full day's pay. That's what I'm talking about. Hooked up. Let's go. All right. So if I'm him, I'm thinking tomorrow I'm going to show up at 445. And I don't have to work the whole day. Get there at 5, I get a whole day's pay. That's cool. All right. 3 o'clock worker, same thing, full day's pay. Noon worker, same thing, full day's pay. So you can see the uh, 6 o'clock workers just sitting back like, okay, this guy's generous. All right, if he's paid them a full day, that'll do only work an hour. I was out here 12. I bet he's about to hook it up. I might get five days pay. Like, this is, this is about to be good. We got the right job this morning. It's hooked up. So they're excited. They're getting, excited. They're getting greedy. They're, getting, they're waiting. 9 a.m. worker gets paid full day pay. It comes up to the 6 o'clock worker says, here's your full day's pay. And I'm like, wait, hold up. This isn't fair. We've been out here in the heat of the day. We've been sweating. We've been, we've been doing the grape thing all day long, just, just giving you all the grapes. We've got the best grapes. We've been doing hard work. How, how is it that you're going to pay us the same that you pay the 5 o'clock worker? The one-hour worker gets paid the same as the 12. That doesn't seem fair to us. How dare you? And here's what Jesus says in the parable, and Jesus being the illustration of, of God speaking. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 14 through 16. He tells these workers, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. For some of you are like, oh, that's cool. Cool blessing for the five o'clock worker. And some of you are like, I'm kind of one of the 12 hour guys. Like that was kind of like, they, got, they had right to be uh, upset. They got, they got treated unfairly. They should have, he should have figured out a way to compensate them fairly. There's all kinds of ways that we perceive, that we uh, see this, this parable. And um, Jesus is saying, I didn't, I didn't take anything from you. I didn't, I didn't take from your portion. You got what you were agreed to get. We negotiated a price, and you got exactly what you signed up for. I hired you for a job, and I paid you exactly. I, me being generous to them doesn't take away from what belonged to you. My generosity toward them has nothing to do with your pay. So go, because I choose to be generous, don't be envious. 
right? So there's a, there's a couple little bit of, uh, of context I want to share with you. Um, the first portion is like a historical context and what Jesus is foreshadowing that's about to take place. See, right now in Matthew, Jesus is only talking to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. That's the only people he's talking to, the nation of Israel. That's who he's selling, telling the gospel to. That's who he's saying that God's come back for. That's what he's talking to. And what he's setting them up with this parable is to say, just so we're clear, there may come a day that the people who come later, that, that when you reject me, when you don't follow me, there may be people that show up at the very last minute. There may be other nations that get to hear the good news of what I'm sharing. There may be other nations, and you're going to have the opportunity to be jealous. You're going to have the opportunity to be envious. You're going to have the opportunity to be frustrated because other nations get the gospel, and you've been following God for generations. You've been following God for your whole life, and you might start to get frustrated, and you're going to have the choice to decide, was something taken from you? You're going to have the choice to decide, was, was I treated unfairly because of God's generosity to the nations, that some people are going to show up at the very last minute and get the same blessing that the whole nation of Israel got? That's the, that's what, the context of it. But I think the, the secondary context and the, what, what we're going to kind of glean from today is I also think it applies to our daily life. I think it applies to our own sense of what is fair or what is not fair. I think we're going to ask this question if you're taking notes. What is fair? If we're going to be positioned for the good news, if I'm going to turn the channel to the right channel to hear the good news, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to have, to have a clear sense of what is fair. Right? If I don't have a clear idea of what's fair and what's just and what's unjust, if I don't have a clear sense of that, it's hard to hear the good news. It's hard to hear what's true if I have a faltering sense of fairness. And what I found, just like hearing the good news, is our sense of fairness depends on where we're at. Where we're at changes whether we think it's fair or not. And nine times out of ten, just human nature, just because of the way that we're wired, nine times out of ten, we always see things that benefit us as fair and things that don't benefit us as unfair, right? I don't, I don't know if anybody went to Muskogee. They may not even have this for 20 years. I don't know. I'm old. Uh, but we used to have chicken fried steak day. Do they still got that? Chicken fried steak day? Somebody over here knows what I'm talking about. Chicken fried steak day. All right. And that was a thing. Like you, I mean, that's, that's the day whenever you've been setting up the lunch lady, you've been talking nice to her, get you an extra chicken fried steak, little potatoes, some gravy. You know what I'm saying? You're like, hey, what's up? Yeah, okay, lunch lady, what's up? Yeah, we, we tight, we tight, put it on there, a little extra. And I, you've been doing work for that day and you cashed in. For you, that might seem fair. You got extra chicken fried steak, you got extra potatoes and gravy. It was delicious. People in the back, they got the normal amount. Doesn't seem very fair. Where you're positioned in line changes your perception of fairness. For many of us, our idea of fairness changes based on our circumstances. We don't have an objective perspective of what is fair. So what is fair? Here's what Jesus says about fairness in Matthew chapter 20, verse 14. He tells them, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. The question that we need to be asking is not, it maybe help us reframe what fairness is, is what belongs to me? What belongs to me? What is, what's in my hand? What, what do I own? What is mine? Right? And Jesus is saying, take what belongs to you. That's what's fair. What belongs to you is fair. That's what I gave you. That's what we agreed to. That's what you deserve. That's what you get. That's what belongs to you. So the question we might be asking ourselves is are we getting, if you're taking notes, are you getting what belongs to you? Do, am, I, am I getting what, that's, that's fair. If I'm getting what belongs to me, that's fair. That's the question we have to wrestle with. 
And as we wrestle with this idea of what belongs to me, you go a layer deeper. What, what really does? Like, what, what am I really owed? What is it that, that, that's really been given to me? And I would argue that for most of us, our idea of what we're owed, what belongs to us, what we should have is solely based on comparing ourselves to others. We think because we looked in our bowl and we were good. Like, cool, I got a cup of ice cream. That's dope. I love ice cream, even though I'm lactose intolerant. I'll eat it. Just take my medicine. It's my ice cream, right? And then we look in somebody else's bowl, and they got two scoops. All of a sudden, the thing that was, was, was exciting, like, so I can't believe I got ice cream. I didn't deserve ice cream. I didn't do anything to earn this ice cream. This is mine. It belongs to me now. I got ice cream. All of a sudden, the very thing that's delicious and amazing and a blessing of God, and we're so grateful, is all of a sudden not fair. All of a sudden, we've been done an injustice because I don't have what belongs to me as much as what somebody else has belongs to me. They got two scoops. I got one scoop. This is unfair. I'm sorry I'm talking about food. I know it's noon. I'm going to mess y'all up at 1130. Y'all going to be darting out of here to eat lunch. Uh, But it doesn't seem like it's fair in that context only because we're comparing ourselves to other people. So what belongs to you? What are you owed? What's in your hand? To to, to further illustrate uh, how much comparison plays a part, uh, I want to do a quick illustration. I'm going to take you back in time. All right. I want you to take all your stuff. I want you to time travel with me. I want you to take all your stuff, all of your privileges, every ability you have, everything that you have in your life, and go back 200 years and drop you in 200 years ago. Take everything you got, your car, your house, your health, everything you got 200 years ago. And all of a sudden, you would come home while everybody else is trying to light the fire to, to get the lights on. You would come home and just flip a switch. Lights would come on. Everybody else, when it comes to the heat of the day, middle of the summer, open the windows, maybe sleep outside. It's just too hot. The house isn't cool, going to cool off till 2 or 3 in the morning. There's just no way we can sleep inside. You have to sleep outside. You just turn your air conditioner on. Maybe turn it down to 68, maybe 67. You want to really cuddle up in the covers. You know what I'm saying? You get, you're good. All of a sudden, everybody else has taken years and months and time to travel, and you just take a quick drive. Super simple. It's so easy. All of the things that you have, now all of a sudden you feel like a king. You lived 200 years ago with all the stuff that you've got, these simple things that almost all of us have. All of a sudden now you are living like a king. You almost have a superpower. You look back and think like you are a superhero. They will burn you at the stake as a witch. If you walk into that house and they see you go, lights on, lights off, lights on, lights off. Like, oh, that, that's, a, that's a witch. That's sorcery. Burn that man at the stake. Burn that woman at the stake. This ain't, no, lights on, lights off, lights on, lights off. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Lights on, lights off. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to drive real fast, 60 miles an hour. Ain't no, nobody's doing that. Their horses don't go that fast. you got 100 horsepower. they got that one horsepower just riding, just, yeah. And like, look at, what is this vehicle, right? All of a sudden, what is normal to you, the thing that's in your hand, didn't change. You don't have anything more. You got sick. You go to the doctor. You get medicine. You got all kinds of access to so many things. But it didn't change. You go back 200 years. What changed is your comparison, now you're a king. Now you're a superhero. Now you got all this magic in your hands. You can call anybody anytime. You got magic in your hands, and nothing about your hands have changed. The only thing has changed is who you're comparing it to. And for many of us, we spend our life looking in other people's bowl. We spend our life not reeling, realizing how blessed we are because we keep comparing ourselves to everybody else. We keep looking and saying, you know what? It was a fair wage before, but now it's unfair because you blessed somebody else. It was fair before because it was, it was something that belonged to me and it was great and I was happy that I got it because I didn't have a job and now I got a job and now I'm mad because somebody else got more than me. And today, uh, I want to reposition ourselves to hear the good news that maybe you have things that belong to you that you never deserved. Maybe you have some things in your life that 
or in your hands and God gave them to you and you didn't even deserve to get them. Now, what I'm not talking about as a quick disclaimer is I'm not talking about when things are taken from you. Uh, There are moments in your life where God put something in your hands and it was ripped from you. Uh, There's a lot of scriptures talking about God fighting the injustices. That's an injustice. When God gave you something, we have something in your hands and it was taken out of your hands, that's an injustice. God talks about being near to the brokenhearted when something is hurting, when something's been taken from you, when you've been given life and it gets taken from you, when you've been given something and somebody else comes and takes it. That's an injustice that's different from what I'm talking about in comparison. God is with you. God is fighting with you. But for most of us, our sense of fairness, our sense of gratitude for the blessings of God, our sense of believing that the good news is already happening to us right now is all about comparing whether or not we have in our hands the same thing somebody else has. Nobody took anything from us. For most of us, it's not about what they took. So if you have an injustice, get healing, get health, talk to God, pray with, connect with God in a way that starts to bring that healing because you're not supposed to just wash over and pretend it didn't happen because that's not what I'm saying. But the things that you have in your hand, the things that you were given, the things you were blessed with, the question to help reconfigure our position to hear the good news is, what do I deserve? Did I deserve that? Like for the laborers, did they deserve a job? No, that vineyard owner did not have to hire them. They didn't deserve a job, and yet he gave them a job. They had something in their hands that they didn't even deserve. So the question is, what do we deserve? If you're taking notes, I would argue we don't deserve anything. This is not fun to hear. It's not fun to, to even preach about. What is it we deserve? The universe owed us nothing. God doesn't owe us anything. We have breath, not because we lived a former life and it set us up for a better life. We have breath because it was a gift and the grace of God that is bestowed on our life. We have life and we have people around us and we have a moment to make changes in the world around us, not because we deserve anything, but because from day one, no matter whether we had one scoop or five scoops, God gave us something we didn't deserve. God gave us something and put something in our hands that now belongs to us. But even that thing that belongs to us, I didn't deserve that. I don't deserve this moment. I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve to be born in this time frame. I don't, there's not anything in our life that we deserve. And until we can get to the position to realize, oh, I'm upset because people have more than me because it seems like I'm believing in my heart that I deserve something, that I was owed something, that life should be fair. And I've got to look and be able to hear the good news that I've got something. I've got something to give this world. I've got people to love well. I've got things to do. I've I've been given a gift, and I'm going to stop comparing my gift, my skills, my life to everybody else and start living the one God has called me. I'm going to start living the way God has called me, not compare my life to everybody else. There's a guy who struggles with that in Scripture. Uh, Most of you have heard the story. How many of you have heard of Jonah and the whale? Jonah and the whale, most of you, you guys are a little bit slow. I got talking about lunch, and you guys are all distracted. I feel it's okay. It's cool. My bad. That's on me. That's on me. Uh, Jonah and the whale, there's always one of you in here that's thinking, man, that's a fish. The scripture says it's a Hebrew. It's originally a fish. You know, it's not a whale. Like, you should know that. You're a pastor. And you're right. It's a, it's a fish. It's a fish. You're not wrong. You're sitting there thinking, like, you should have known that. But I, I don't think it matters that much, really, honestly. I don't, I don't think the mammal-fish distinction is that important, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're going to get there, and he's going to be like, well done, my good and faithful. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, you called it a well. I'm so sorry. It was clearly a fish. That is, that's a lie. You're going straight to hell. That is straight to hell. Sorry about that. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but oops on me if it does. So anyways, Jonah in the well. 
We've all heard uh, the story of Jonah and the well. And the first portion of the story is when we hear the end is the one that we don't talk about as much. It's actually my favorite part. But for those of you who don't remember the story, it's been years, you've been in Sunday school, heard the story, read the story. Um, Jonah is being sent by God to go to this area called Nineveh, and he didn't want to go. Nineveh is, an, uh, is a city in the empire of Assyria, and he's probably got good reason to not want to go. He's a Jewish person, and the Assyrians were not very kind to Jewish people. Like, they, they would torture them, slaughter them, uh, uh, overthrow their kingdom. It was, it was not a good relationship. They probably had just cause to not really like the Ninevites and not want to go to Nineveh in that season. And so he's like, no, nah, you, you want me to go that way? I'm going to go this way, actually, God. I'm going to go the other way. So, so Jonah runs. He's like, I'm not doing what God's called me to do. Some of us know what that feels like to try to run from the call of God. doesn't turn out well. Um, Jonah's running and he gets on a boat and that boat is about to sink everybody on the boat the experts in the boating community know it's going down what do we do they're all praying to their gods and Jonah finally is like all right that's it's on me like my bad God is trying to get y'all's attention for me if y'all throw me overboard then we'll, y'all will be good y'all will be good so they throw him overboard and this is when the whale fish thing swallows him right whale fish whatever you want to call it uh, swallows uh, uh, Jonah and for three days he's in the belly of this thing and he repents finally finally he's like God if you get me out I'll do what you told me to do finally he's like all right God I'll go I'll go the way you want me to do I don't like these Ninevites I don't really want to go that direction I don't really want to do this thing call me to do I don't really like these people but if you'll just get me out of this thing I'll go so the whale fish spits him out Sits out on the line. He goes to, to Nineveh and he tells them, your city is going to be destroyed if you don't repent. For three days, he's walking through the city up and down, just yelling like a madman, probably pale white skin from the saliva of this whalefish thing that he's been living in. Probably looks weird, right? Um, and he's yelling at them, telling them, like, you've got to repent. You've got to turn from, from your wrong ways. You've got to repent. Uh, and then at the end of the three days, they agree. Okay, you know, you're right. We need to repent. So they do. Crazy, craziest thing, they're like, no, you're right. This, this brutal empire, this brutal, brutal city, this violent city realizes they're wrong and they all turn like from top down. Everybody in the city goes into a time of mourning. They all repent before God and God says, okay, cool. You did what I asked you to do. You repented. I won't destroy your city. And you would think Jonah's like, boom, that was awesome. God used me. I was able to walk through the city and this terrible group of people, they repented. This is going to be awesome. God, we did good work. Let's go. That's cool. That's not Jonah's response at all. Jonah's mad. Jonah's mad at God, and here's what he says in uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is, this is a really interesting set of verses for me. First off, Jonah, it's not that hard to die. I mean, you had an option in the whale and whale fish thing, and you chose not to. You don't really want to die. You're just, you're just in your fields. You know people who get hangry, people get in their fields and say stuff. Like, you know you don't want that. You know you're talking, talking, talking out of your anger. Um, he just, he's, he sounds to me, my interpretation is he sounds like a, a kind of a whiny toddler. Like, he's just mad. Like, how dare you be nice to them? How dare you be nice to them? And what's one of the things that's most interesting to me in, in Jonah talking about God and being mad at God for his mercy and his grace is, is how much of the Old Testament the people in the Old Testament see God as merciful and kind and, and looking for an opportunity to relent from doing harm to people. Like, God is looking for an opportunity. God is so kind and merciful. And if I read the Old Testament, I'm like, 
it kind of seems brutal. Like, it doesn't quite seem so. Like, my idea of the good news in the Old Testament is I don't really hear good news. It sounds like God's pretty vengeful. God's pretty angry. It doesn't make sense. But, like, David and Joseph, who spends most of his life in a prison cell of no fault of his own, is still saying, you know what? Well, you guys meant for evil. God meant for good. God is good. David, all throughout, is, like, going out of his way to do good for somebody else, to be like God, to, to, to bless his enemy because he knows that's what God is like. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. So somehow, some way, the way God was communicating to their culture communicated the good news to them, which was, I'm full of grace, I'm full of mercy, I'm full of kindness, and I am looking for opportunities to relent from harm happening to people. That's how their culture was able to hear because God was communicating good news. And our vantage point is not a place where we can hear it because we're not in their culture. And yet their culture heard it as good news, further helping me understand that where your position to hear correctly changes whether you can hear good or bad, whether you can hear it as good news. Your expectations, your setup of what, what should and shouldn't happen changes your vantage point about whether or not you can hear the good news. And what I believe and what I, the reason that I want to get to a place today is I believe that to be able to hear the good news, to be in the right position for good news, we have to be in the right position when it comes to other people, right? So, so for like the laborers, uh, they're mad and they're upset because somebody else got blessed, right? The, the, the laborers that are upset that came 12 hours and worked all day, they're upset. They got their feelings hurt because they didn't get as much as somebody else. They didn't get as blessed as somebody else. That God used his grace for somebody else and you don't see anything else good for them. Jonah is upset at the position he's in because God did something amazing for the Ninevites and you don't see anything else good for Jonah. And I believe it's not God stopping from his opportunity of mercy and grace to you, but rather that we move out of the position to receive his mercy and his grace and his goodness and his blessings when we can't get to the position where we celebrate somebody else's blessings. When we, when we have such a, a false sense of fairness that we can't celebrate when somebody else gets something, then all of a sudden we're out of position for the next good thing God has for us. You want to hear the good news, first start celebrating the good news in somebody else. You want to be ready for God's blessing in your life? You want to be ready for God's mercy in your life, God's grace in your life? Start, start with celebrating somebody else's undeserved blessing. That's the whole idea of what grace is. The whole idea of grace is not that you can earn it. It is unmerited favor from God. And there are all kinds of people all over this room, all over this, this town and this country who have unmerited favor. And the way that you get to a position where you can be ready for God's mercy and his blessing and his grace is to start celebrating it when you don't have it, when they get it and you don't. To start being happy that the person next to you, look at you, you got two, you got two scoops. That's awesome. How'd you get two scoops? That's amazing. God is so good that you got two scoops while you're sitting there with one. That you can start celebrating somebody else's healing when you're still fighting for your own. You can start celebrating somebody else financially getting ahead when you're still striving to get ahead. And you can start celebrating God's goodness to other people when you're not there yet. You are now positioned for the grace and the mercy of God. But for many of us, we can't receive the next stage of what God wants to get us. We, get us. we can't receive the next stage of what God wants to do in our life because we're just like Jonah. We're just like the labor and we're sitting back comparing ours to theirs thinking, well, I should get a little bit more. I've worked hard. And here's what he says, that, that second verse in Matthew chapter 20, verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Or are you envious because I'm generous? 
God is not taking from you to bless others. That's what you have to uh, come to terms with. What belongs to you is not getting ripped out of your hands to bless somebody else. You don't have any more or any less just because they have more. You don't have any more or any less because God chooses to bless them. So to get in position to, to, to receive the next stage of what God wants for you, to, to get in the position to hear the good news of his mercy and his grace, you have to start being able to celebrate when God does it for others. And see, Jonah can't do it and the laborers can't do it. And what's interesting about the laborers is I look back and I think, I would rather actually be the six o'clock laborers, the one that worked all 12 hours. They don't realize how blessed they were because they can't see it. They're blinded by their sense of fairness. They're blinded by, 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 by what they think should happen. They're blinded by God blessing somebody else that they can't see how blessed they were. And that's true for us. We can't see, like, for instance, Jonah. Jonah depended on God's mercy and his grace. Jonah was so dependent on it that he was willing to run from God. Jonah was so convinced that God was merciful and graceful that he felt convinced he could just run and God would save him. He was just convinced that he could run away from the call of God and not get zapped. He was dependent on his mercy and his grace for himself, but despised it when he saw it in other people. And for the laborers, they couldn't see the mercy and the grace that were given them because the reason for the laborers that they, I think that they had more mercy and more grace than the other people, even though they work less, is they didn't have to sweat all day wondering if they could feed their family. See, if I'm the six o'clock worker and I've got to work all day long, while I'm working, I don't have to wonder because I showed up because I don't have a job. I showed up because I don't have a committed boss. Somebody chose me and gave me a job. And the rest of the day, I know how much I'm getting paid. And I know I get to go home and look my wife in the face. And I go home to look my kids in the face and say, you get to eat today. We've got enough today because I got hired at 6 a.m. And all day long from 6 to 9, I'm just working, knowing that I'm getting paid. From 9 to 12, I'm working, knowing I'm getting paid. But the workers, the other guys who are sitting on the side for three hours, they're like, God, I hope, I hope. Because if I don't, if I don't get a job, I don't eat. These aren't, these aren't full-time. There's not, there's not a social safety net for these laborers. There's not an opportunity to go get food stamps and get covered. If you don't work, you don't eat. There's not another thing that's going to happen. If I don't get a job, I don't have a consistent job. That's why I'm standing here. God, I hope somebody shows up and hires me. Oh, you'll pay me what's fair? All right, I've been three hours. It's worth it. I'll, I'll take what you got to give. I've been sitting here six hours I will take what you got to give. I've been sitting here for 11 hours. Absolutely, I'll go work for an hour because I want to feed my family. See, I all day long think the biggest blessing of that whole story without them being able to see it is the one that worked the full 12 because they spent all day knowing that they had their family taken care of while the rest of them were sweating the anxiety, the worry, the fear of wondering, can I feed my family? Can I do it? And it was like, oh, thank you for hiring me three hours in. Thank you for hiring me that last hour. I don't know how much I'm getting paid, but something is better than nothing because I got to go home to my kids and feed them. There was a blessing that was in the 12 hours of work, but they couldn't see it. They could not see how blessed they were in that moment to be able to be hired and work a full 12 hours and not spend hours and hours and hours sweating and wondering if God was going to show up, if somebody was going to hire me, if I was going to get to feed my family. And for many of us, we can't see our own blessing. We can't see God's grace in our life because we're too busy despising it in others. So if you're taking notes, we want grace for us and despise it for others. Oh man, no, no, like you don't understand my mistakes. You don't understand my, the, the, I went through a lot of stuff. So that's why I acted that way. God's good, God's grace, he, he, he's gonna cover me. But you see that guy? Oh my goodness, I can't believe that church put them in a red shirt. You don't know what he used to do. You don't know what she used to do. Can you believe that that church would allow that to happen? We love grace for ourselves. 
because our vantage of fairness is always in our favor and we love grace for ourselves and we despise it at other and it removes us from the ability to receive God's best in our life, to receive the next stage in our life, to say, oh, thank God they got blessed. Thank God, oh my, I used to see how they lived and God turned them around. I can't believe it. It's amazing. You should see the joy that they have in their life. You should see what God did in their marriage. You should see what God did for their kids. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm believing it for mine as well, but I'm so excited that God did it for them while I'm waiting. I'm so excited that God did something. And so today, if you want to be positioned for the good news of God's grace and God's mercy, if you're taking notes, the last thing, get rid of fairness and embrace grace. (laughs) Because you don't want fairness. Honestly, you don't want fairness. Fairness includes justice. Fairness means you get what you deserve. And for a lot of us, all our vantage point is all the good stuff. I've been working hard. I've been doing stuff. You get what you deserve. No, no, sometimes you get what you deserve because you acted a fool and God gave you grace instead. Sometimes you should be in prison right now and God gave you grace instead. Sometimes you should have, that night you drove and you shouldn't have drove and you barely made it home. God's grace got you home. You better not do it again. Don't fool around with God's grace. And God is saying, I gave you grace. That's not fairness. Fairness would be you're in prison. Fairness would be you would be struggling right now. Fairness would be you're still addicted. Fairness would be I left you to your own devices, but I showed up with grace. So if you want fairness, it also comes with justice. And for many of us, that thing we're thinking about, oh, we don't want that to happen. You know, that's God's grace. That's God's grace. And if you're going to continue in his grace and you're going to go to the next stages of being able to hear the good news, you're going to have to celebrate it in other people first. Let's pray. God, for a group of people who are trying to change their vantage point and maybe are challenged to hear about your mercy and your grace in a new way, God, that they would position themselves to hear the good news, that they would position themselves to get rid of the idea of fairness and now accept and live in and live through your grace. If that's you and you're saying, yeah, I want God to change my perspective. I want God to help me see life through the eyes of grace, not fairness. I want to be able to celebrate God's goodness in other people's lives before it's ever in mine. If I can be praying for you this week, would you raise your hand? Yeah, hands going up all over. God, I thank you for people who accept the challenge. I thank you for people who are here to hear your grace, that they're going to let go of their sense of fairness and you're going to show up and let them celebrate some things in other people's life. Your goodness, your blessings, your your unmerited favor in somebody else's life. Even for the very thing they've been fighting for, believing for, and praying for, God, you're going to let them see it in somebody else's life, and they're going to be able to celebrate your goodness and your mercy, and then they're going to be positioned for more. They're going to be positioned for more of your grace because they're going to stop trying to get it fair, and they're going to start following you and trusting you and believing that your grace and your mercy is enough. With every head bowed, every eye closed, there's others of you that it's, it's time to have the first time that you get God's grace and God's mercy. Maybe the very first time you walk into God's grace and God's mercy. What that means is it's the first time that you say, Jesus, I follow you with my life. I accept that you died on the cross for my sins. I accept that you sent your son to die on the cross for me, to, to wash away my sin, my guilt, my shame, to, to, to make a way for me. It wasn't fair. God did the most unfair thing he could have done for you, and that is make his son pay the price for what the justice you owed. It was unfair, and now is the time where you get to revel in God's grace, where you get to live in his mercy and his grace, because you don't get what's fair. You get the most unfair thing that's ever happened in the universe is that a fully innocent man, the only innocent man, took your punishment for you so that God could spend an eternity with you, that you don't have to carry around that guilt and that shame and that weight any longer. Some of you, 
are like those five o'clock workers. You've been waiting for somebody to show up. You spent your life just waiting for somebody to show up. Like, I, I just want to know what to do next. I just don't know what to do. You're that five o'clock worker who's been waiting all day and you've been wondering and you've been wondering. And today I want you to know God has showed up and said, I've hired you. I chose you. I picked you. You might be last, but today you're about to be first because that's how I work. I'm about to move you up in an unfair way because of my grace and my mercy. It's not about your heritage, your bloodline, how good you are, how good you look. It's not about anything that you could have done. It's all about my grace and my mercy. And you're a five o'clock worker who's been waiting and waiting and God has been pursuing and pursuing. And today he's saying, you're hired. All you got to do is follow me. All you got to do is trust me. All you got to do is follow me with your life. So if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, here's what we're going to do. In just a second, you're going to raise your hand. You're going to meet me eye to eye. You're going to be communicating. I'm ready to follow God with my life. I accept his forgiveness. I accept his grace. I'm not going to live in fairness. I'm going to live under his grace and follow him with my life. And I'm going to trust him with my life. And I'm going to follow him every single day. And after we do that, everybody in this room is going to repeat a prayer after me. And you're going to repeat that prayer from your heart. So if that's you, you're the five o'clock worker. It's time to accept his mercy and his grace. Stop trying to live under fairness because that's not what you want. You are about to get an unfair advantage in this life, and that is Jesus Christ leading your life and washing away all your guilt, all the stuff that you have done in your life. He's going to wash that white as snow, and you're going to walk out of here in the freedom of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if that's you, every head's bowed, every eye closed. It's time. This is the moment. Raise that hand. Meet me eye to eye right now. That's you. Don't miss your moment. Yes, ma'am. Welcome to the family of God. You guys get excited about that. Come on. See, what you'll notice is that you have a church full of people who are excited to celebrate the people that get grace. We're excited to celebrate those that are raising their hand and getting God's grace because we, none of us deserved it. So if that's you, others of you in this moment, this is your time. Raise that hand. Meet me eye to eye if that's you. Yes, ma'am. Welcome to the family of God. Come on, you guys get excited about that. One second left. Some people want to celebrate your decision to get the grace and mercy of God. All right, for those two that I saw, we're going to pray a prayer. And we believe in the family of God. Nobody should pray alone, so we're all going to repeat this prayer alongside of you. I just want you to pray it from your heart, and we'll give you some next steps after. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know that I made mistakes and I know that I'm a sinner but today I choose to follow you with my whole life I accept your grace come into my heart forgive me of my sins make me brand new fill me with your Holy Spirit and use my life to reach others in Jesus name everybody said